Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 170 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. I'm alive and well, uh, despite being uh, gone for a week plus, and I'm pretty exhausted and didn't see a ton of baseball, but it was a fun week to cover the Atlanta Braves, and joining me to talk about the week that was and much more is the great Eric Cole. What's up, man? Hey, man. What's going on? I'm glad you got back home safe, and we're glad to have you back in the state of Georgia. <laughs> uh, it's, and it's been a really fun week to talk about for, for Braves fans, so I'm actually kind of looking forward to this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good, good stuff to be with the family and all that, and uh, you know, good celebration of my grandfather, etc. But here we are, and uh, we're going to save the uh, the game stuff for the second segment of the podcast to give people what they want a little bit later. We'll, to, we'll talk about all of the uh, wins that took place, which was a lot of fun over the last week. But a couple of news items to hit on before we get to the actual uh, baseball from this week. Uh, let's start with the let's start with the draft, which seems like it was a lifetime ago, but because you and I have not talked in this space and because the Braves are now signing players and all the slot stuff's coming in and I always say I have no idea what's going on with the draft. I always I just read you and Matt and everybody else. But um, I want to open the floor up to you to share anything, anything that you would like about any of the picks and signings. I know you've talked about this stuff on Road to Atlanta, and people should be subscribing to this feed and listening to Road to Atlanta. But in case they missed it, where are you on the draft, and has anything changed since the, since the night of the draft? So I was really surprised. Uh, oddly enough, I was on vacation, quote-unquote vacation, uh, when the draft was taking place. It was a little bit tough to kind of be as immersed as I normally was as a result. Um, but I was kind of quarterbacking draft coverage for two different sites. Matt was kind of taking the lead on a lot of it. And I had, I've had a lot of time to kind of percolate, I guess, on what the, what this draft is and like how, what to think about it. Um, I have no problems at all with the Braves taking Langoliers. Uh, I just kind of want to get that out there is that it's a, it feels a little bit like they're, they have kind of skewed some upside uh, in terms of that, in terms of that pick, but it's a guy who probably has, Major league ready defense and play calling behind the plate at catcher in a position that you just don't find those guys at. Uh, and there is like, he could be a reasonably decent hitter. So I thought that was a good pick. And I, I was much happier when I found out that, that he was an under slot signing. So they could save some money to go after some day three picks, which is ultimately what this draft is going to be defined by for us because Braden Shoemake is a very sort of, you could tell like he is the guy that you would like if you put his numbers and his career into a computer. Uh, Kylie McDaniel actually mentioned this uh, right after the draft is that he's a college performer out of the SEC and if it, an analytics minded scouting department and front office is going to that's the type of guy that's going to perform well in those types of you know those types of models. I was really surprised though that he signed at slot and 
I was at that point, I was a little worried that they wouldn't have quite enough money to sign some of the day two guys that we liked, as well as a lot of the day three guys that we really liked. Um, but so far, things have been going really well. The the two guys on day two that we were really excited about were Michael Harris. Uh, he's a uh, he's a kind of a two way guy. He's a pitcher as well as an outfielder. Looks like sounds like that they're going to at least try him in the outfield first. You know, again, one of those super athletic, high upside prep guys. Pro- wasn't quite good enough to get on that sort of that first round radar. But they popped him in the third round, and he's a guy that you know could be really good. And if you know working out as a hitter it doesn't really work out, then he could always fall back on a pitching plan. Uh, and Stephen Paolini is the probably the more interesting guy. He's their fifth round pick, I think. Uh, he was a little bit over slot for a fifth round pick, which isn't something we've seen the Braves do a lot. Usually, starting like that fourth to fifth round range is when they start taking the, the seniors and trying to save a bunch of money with their slots, um, so that they can sign the other guys that are earlier in the draft or some of their day three guys. But they actually kind of spaced things out, and like a lot of their later, like their day two picks, they were not maybe not getting quite slot, but they were paying more than they usually do. Um, but Paulini's an outfield prospect. He was like under undercover. Doesn't look like the scouts were really in on him. And the Braves really do think that they finally got they got. Well, I say finally, they feel like they got something special in that guy. Uh, has a bunch of tools, really fast. Seems like he's hitting the ball hard. Has some power. And again, not a guy that was on a lot of scouts' radar, but he's a guy, uh, another prep guy who's so the. This kind of makes the rookie ball a little bit more interesting than it, I thought it was going to be with this draft, just because there's no international signings, and I didn't think that they were going to be going with many of the high school guys. There would be guys that were more college ready, which is what they did with the first two picks. Um, so once those two guys were in the fold, it made you feel like there was some really nice upside in the lower minors. And then with the day three picks that we were concerned that they may not have enough money for, they've at least gotten four of them. Vaughn Grissom, Tyler Owens, Caden Morton, and Bryce Ball were kind of the guys we were really looking at for those day three picks, and all four of those guys have signed. We're still waiting on Makai Backstrom, who's a first-base prospect out of uh, California, who was like on some short list for first-round consideration when the year started, but he didn't play really well, and I think there were some vision problems that got corrected late. So we're hoping he signs, and Joey Essis is a, is a prep arm, hasn't signed yet, and we're he's a guy that has some upside too. That Those are the two signings because ultimately – it felt like a very safe draft at the top that they did, but the the, the real upside was more lottery ticket esque um, in this draft rather than, rather than going after some more highly regarded guys and going over slot in the third round or something like that. They kind of spaced things out and bought a bunch of lottery tickets. So it's a very interesting draft. I don't. This isn't the strategy I probably would have done, but it is very interesting, and I want to see how it kind of unfolds. Yeah, I mean, I again, I, I don't know a ton about these guys. Never, never going to be dived uh, totally in. But um, that's you know what you said is kind of the takeaway that I had as someone who just checks and writes and reads and pays attention to the stuff as much as possible without having my own really without my own real analysis to it. It seemed like it surprised some folks, but at the same time, not a disaster. Like there was some some violent overreactions as people might imagine from the fan base. But it's yeah, like, I mean, and that, a lot of that's just like, oh, that, that isn't the guy that they were supposed to draft because of the mock draft that I read. It's like it's the very uh, natural things that happen with sports. But, um, you know, I was fine with it as someone who knows nothing but, and seemed like you were OK with it. So that's all. I yeah, about, really. yeah, it was fine. You know, what I mean, again, it's just it's I, I personally would pick Corbin Carroll with that first pick because I really like him as a prep prospect. But that's a that's a, that, you know, a prep hitter is like a risky demographic in general. And when you have a college guy in Langoliers who's a position that you just don't find good catchers, uh, and there was two in the top ten this year, so it, it was fine. You know that there we if I did my first kind of first pass to the top thirty prospect lists because we're going to be updating that during the All Star break, oh, yeah. and and I had I have four guys from this draft in that top thirty, and that's not that's not bad. 
It's just not. Yeah, I mean, especially in this system, which uh, you cover at length, and we'll, we'll talk much more about that um, as we get there. Um, unless you have more on the draft, uh, we can use the All-Star break re- reference to get into All-Star voting briefly. I don't Seamless care about All-Star segue. voting. But, uh, yeah, professional segue here. But um, the Braves are, you know, as you might expect, prominently featured in the All-Star voting. At least the first returns were a couple of days ago, uh, t- couple of days ago now. But uh, Ozzy Albies has the lead at second base. Ronald Acuna is the number three vote-getter, but is starting player right now um, at outfield level. Um, Brian McCann in the mix at catcher. Freddie Freeman is always underrated. He's third at first base. Um, Dansby is second at second base. Uh, sorry, second at shortstop, but he's like light years behind Javier Baez, so has no chance of actually winning. It's like a very distant second um, in terms of because the Cubs people vote in uh, in droves. Um, anything surprise you here uh, or even worth discussing? Other than I wanted to at least mention it, but I don't really have takes on All-Star voting because I don't, I don't really care other than Freddie Freeman is always undervalued because he's just always undervalued. Yeah, I was really surprised that Freddie was in third, and I, I think he I mean, he has a reasonable shot of climbing that too. So I'm not like I'm not rioting over that. Um, he deserves to be an All Star. He's been he's been insane in the first half, and like we kind of forget when we're like looking at like Austin Riley and Acuna and what kind of the surge that Albies has put up and things like that. Like just how good Fr- Freddie's been the best hitter on the team by a mile, and that means something with this team right now because the offense is insane, and it starts with him. Um, I he's perennially underrated. I was genuinely surprised that Brian McCann was in second place at catcher. Not because I have any issues with how he's been playing. He's been, he's been very decent and you know, he's managing that pitching staff really well. You know, that, that Tyler flowers, Brian McCann platoon that we talked about before the season seems to be so far has been working out really well, but that he, I mean, a lot of that's name recognition and the fact I was about that to say that that's, that's probably what it is, honestly, because that's what all, most of this stuff is. Um, and McCann was an all-star level player for so long that people just right. know who he is. Um, and and uh, by the way, the Braves fans vote well usually. I mean, they're not they're not, not not quite the Cubs in terms of just the ridiculousness of the voting sometimes. But Braves fans usually uh, do a pretty good job of this stuff. Well, yeah, and I think that some of that's going to be ticking up too. Because I mean, given how well the team's been doing, there's like more engaged casual fans and things like that. And the Braves are really pushing the All Star voting stuff pretty well. Um, I imagine that I, I I think it's fair to say that Ozzy's probably the favorite at second base just because of that, and he's also playing well. Acuna is kind of the same thing. I think he's going to get one of those starting spots. Um, I'm again, McCann, there's no chance that Dansby is going to catch Bobby. I don't know. What, I can't remember what the voting totals were, but Baez was way ahead. It's like 900,000. So, he's like four times the votes. It's not even going to be close, which is yeah. why I referenced it. It's the reason why I even noticed it because it was like, oh, that's that's not a gap that you see between one and two very often. Baez uh, is good, but, um, but it's just one of those things. Yeah, but but Dansby's been performing very well. And like, oh, it yeah. would not, I would not be outraged if he got an all-star spot. He's been playing really well. Um, Donaldson at fourth was a little, I, I didn't think he was going to be that far behind until I kind of looked at that, look at that group of third basemen. And that's a really tough, <laughs> a tough position to crack out all-star spot at this year. So yeah, I was uh, not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, obviously the performance is there, but there's also that name recognition thing where I was kind of like, maybe people were just going to vote for Donaldson because he's supposed to be there, but that's, the third base is tough. Uh, I mean, Arenado leading the way there. There's a lot of really good players at third. So again, not that, nothing super crazy, just kind of some mild surprises for me. Yeah, and we'll monitor that. Um, I'm not a huge All-Star guy. In fact, if there's a single w- Sunday in which I might skip the podcast d- due to travel, etc., it'll probably be All-Star weekend um, or All-Star week because I just don't care about the All-Star game. Um, but uh, here we are, and the Braves will have people in it. That's my that's my objective analysis, Eric, is that people will be there representing <laughs> the Atlanta Braves, probably including your boy Mike Soroka, just by the way. Yeah, it seems very likely. He'd have to, he'd have to really fall off the cliff here to not, get a, to not get a spot. So he's been performing really well. Yeah, and we'll come back to that as we get closer. 
Uh, last thing before we get to the actual baseball on the field, uh, there were some transactions this week. The biggest one was Kevin Gosman going to the IL in favor of A.J. Minter, um, and that, of course, paves the way for Dallas Keuchel. To some extent, he's not quite there yet, but you saw Dallas Keuchel in person, so I'm going to defer to you on that part of this thing, but hold that off for a second. Um, anything surprise you? I mean, Minter was the guy we all suspected to be coming back pretty soon. He was pitching well in the minors, and Gosman, um, you know, how hurt he is is up for debate, I suppose, but it, it was with the way he was pitching, was never gonna, he was never going to stick around. Um, there was going to be something happening, whether whether it be a bullpen assignment or a, an IL stint. An IL stint probably was the move based on how bad he had been in the recent past. The numbers we talked about last week on the podcast, but the numbers were just jarringly bad over a three or four start sample. So uh, you know the uh, the phantom DL stint was probably the way. Sorry, IL stint is probably the way to move there. And Minter's back and looks okay to me at least. Yeah, I mean Minter looked good, especially um, not not today the 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 big win, but the the night before he was really good in that inning. I mean he was like other than Luke Jackson kind of messing things up the bullpen actually performed really well. And it kind of looked like the old, the the mentor that we had kind of gotten used to seeing, you know, like has real life and he's throwing strikes. And I, I like where he is as in in terms of the reliever. I'm a little bit surprised uh, that it seems like a very specific injury to do a phantom IL stint, like plantar fasciitis, I think is what it was. So I do wonder if maybe Gaussman has been dealing with something, you know, over the course of the year and things like that, but I don't see. It's hard for me to envision a world where he'll make another start. I mean, I could see him in the bullpen because there's that that two pitch mix might work. Yeah, his stuff might play up. I mean, yeah, I think he might he start. Throw. It's 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 gonna he's gonna need an injury maybe two. I would imagine to actually get because I mean with the way that Newcomb and we'll talk about Newcomb later. Um, the way that they seemed okay slotting him in there for at least the one, maybe two starts. They have the young guys too. They're still available. You know, maybe if you get a long-term injury, um, you might slot Gosman back in there just because of the safety. You might, you might give him a chance again. And the way that he's being paid, he's been, he's going to be paid handsomely and he has the track record, but um, you know, over under 0.5 starts, you're, you're taking the under for the rest of the season. I would say he might make one or two because they have a couple guys in Freed and Soroka that I think they're going to be managing the innings. Yeah, of. I, that's what that's I was about to say. That's that's the reason I would take the over on on zero point five. Like I'm not saying he's going to make ten starts, but I think you know even if it gets to like September, you might just he's around and you know unless he's unless he's just actively injured and unavailable, he's someone who can fill some innings for you. And with especially with the way Freed has been not pitching all that well, maybe you see a. Uh, a shutdown on Freed or a skip on Freed at some point, you know, that kind of stuff um, yeah. just to see what's going on. Yeah, I mean, it, the Braves could have a pretty interesting sort of roster construction construction thing where they have Gaussman and Newcomb in the pen where they can, like, do a bullpen game, but, like, they could just run two guys out there for most of it. You know what I mean? Like, they could they could, they could could manage innings that way. They can give guys extra days of rest where, you know, guys like Tehran who have pitched well under those circumstances, for example, uh, it's interesting because again, there's not there's no one in the bullpen that makes me like go. I would be upset if Gaussman and Newcomb were in there and they, like X guy or Y guy. There's only a few guys in that bullpen that I'm like they deserve to be in there no matter what over over those two guys. So I'm hopeful, but that you know Gaussman can actually turn into some value. But I mean, he was just so bad. He had no command. His fastball was flat and. The splitter, you know, at times looked really good, but he was super inconsistent. And when you only have two pitches, which is basically what he has, he has the fastball and he has the splitter. That's it. And it feels like that going to the bullpen is the logical step there. But I think for the moment they're going to put him on the injuries list for as long as they can until they can kind of sort things out roster wise. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, 
Did, do you uh, have an? I don't, I'm not even sure how to say his name, to be honest with you, because I've not um, been watching a lot of yeah, baseball. Enoa? Yes, Enoa. That, that's <laughs> yeah, what I was going to guess. So thank you yeah. for that. Um, <laughs> do, do, you have, do you have takes on him? He, he threw two innings today, right? In mop up duty and was okay. Yeah, he looked good. Um, I've thought for probably the last year or so that he was a, a relief prospect just because the fastball is live. It's a high 90s fastball, and the breaker, the breaker is pretty good. Uh, it's pretty inconsistent, but. That's a really good profile for a reliever. They've been—he's been a starter for most of his time in the minor leagues. It's kind of—he's had some relief appearances here and there, uh, more recently, just to kind of prepare him for either role. But when you add a guy like him to the forty-man roster, which is what they did to kind of protect him from the forty from the Rule Five draft, I was a little surprised he was the one that got called up because Patrick Weigel is just sitting down there at AAA and he's on the forty-man roster too. But Enoa yeah. was like scheduled to start on Saturday, and they, they needed the guy for that date. So it makes sense to have him kind of up and ready to go. And he, he looked good. I mean, it's live stuff. I don't know if, how good of a reliever he could be, but the stuff is really good. And it could be, and it, he's definitely more interesting than some of the arms they've been running out there and hoping, <laughs> you know, so I, yes. I was, I was a little bit surprised, but at the same time I was, I was all for it because again, he, this isn't like a 40 man move that would have really been puzzling for me. He was already on the 40 man. And if that's the case, Pulling him up to see what you got in, got in him, even though he hasn't been pitching particularly well this year down in the minors. I guess he's kind of working on some stuff here and there. But, he, I mean, he looked good today, and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he I, – I imagine this will be a short stint uh, in the major leagues, but I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, saw action again here relatively soon. Yeah, they they need all, all the help they can get at the end of uh, at the end of games, and uh, obviously he'll he's a potential multi inning guy, etc. So we'll talk about him if the, if if needed. But I want to at least make note of the fact that he appeared and has been on the roster. So there you go. All right, Eric, we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll come back and talk about the awesome week that was for the Atlanta Braves. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking from the provocative to the technical we're offering insights you won't want to miss so tune in to the future of work a prop g pod special sponsored by canva you can find it on the prop g pod wherever you get your podcasts
All right, Eric, we're back, and uh, a fun one, as we alluded to early in the podcast for the Braves. They came within a Luke Jackson blown save on Saturday of a spotless week, and uh, even with that um, in mind, they have now won. They have now won nine out of ten games, and as we sit here right now, they have what a two and a half game lead on the Nationals. They have a over the Phillies. Sorry, over the Nationals. Over the Phillies. I'm used to the Nationals being the thing. Yeah, um, and, they're, and they're not this year. They are not. Um, there were some flashes from the Nationals where I actually thought they might get back in, and they might. I mean, they're not like dead, dead, but it's, uh, yeah, that was a 40 slip. Um, but yeah, over the Phillies, 1972 projected record on 538. Uh, they also project a 73% chance to make the playoffs and a 55% chance to win the National League East after what was an awesome week of baseball. So we'll go through a little bit of it. Um, obviously, the sweep over Pittsburgh was nice. Um, probably not, probably less impactful than even taking two out of three from the Phillies. But um, where do you want to start? We'll just start at the beginning, I guess. Monday was interesting. Um, they had the first ending fireworks, let's say, with, with, with yeah. Josh Donaldson getting ejected. It feels like a long time ago now that he was ejected and suspended and Musgrove and all that stuff. And that was a, a weird game. One that also included a Ronald Acuna Grand Slam. Ozzy had two home runs, and Ozzy's been great. And then Newcomb... What are you, four and two thirds innings of spotless um, relief? It was a <laughs> it was that was like a weird a, baseball game on Monday, <laughs> in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, I was a little surprised that they that they handed Donaldson a suspension. If I'm being honest about it, it was a, that yeah. was weird to me too. I I totally agree. Like I didn't have a like an overwhelming take, but it was like, wait, that got him suspended? Like ejection? Okay, that's fine. But he, he got ejected in the first he, he inning did. of a game. Like he was, yeah. he just missed the game. Yeah, he did kind of like push the catcher out of the way, but it wasn't like, I mean, like there weren't like punches thrown. It wasn't a big melee or anything like that. It seemed like most people involved were just trying to keep the guys separated. They're two very hot-headed guys. Musgrove wasn't, you know, wasn't going to have anyone tell him what, you know, what he could or couldn't do. And Donaldson took issue, I guess, with how Musgrove was looking at him. And, you know, words were exchanged. And, you know, he, again, Donaldson did kind of move the like uh, Elias Diaz, I think was the catcher that, that game moved him out of the way and Mus and Mus- Musgrove like kind of threw his hat and glove on the ground. Like he was ready to fight. So, I mean, I understand, I kind of understand the ejections maybe, but like the suspension felt, felt really weird to me. So I, I totally agree. That was, it was very, and by the way, there were like players taking to social media that were like, what is going on here? Like the Musgrove suspension, I mean, uh, the Musgrove uh, ejection. I was like, what are we, I'm not, and, I'm not the guy who's like, I'm not the go in and tell everybody that like the wussification of America stuff. I'm not that guy, but like I couldn't figure out why they were. I couldn't figure out why Donaldson was suspended. Ejections, like I would have erred on not even ejecting them. To be honest with you, yeah. But, like uh, if anyone was going to get ejected, it was going to be Donaldson. I don't sure. know if I would. I would not even know if I would have ejected Musgrove. That's now, what I'm saying. Her, like now, her, I, now Hurdle getting ejected. That makes a total amount of sense. He was so oh, yeah. mad because Musgrove got ejected that you know that was going to happen. He went but, full uh, full angry manager mode, which is that's justified, I suppose. In that instance, you just gotta. That's one of those things that managers just do. They blow their top on purpose, either either on purpose or naturally, just kind of go all in and know they're going to get ejected. That's that's fine. You get your players' backs right. and all that. But um, yeah, that kind of overshadow what was a, a fun game. Like everybody hit in that game between Acuna's grand slam, Ozzy hit two home two home runs. Camargo got got healthy, which was nice. With three hits, Marquez said four hits, two to break out of his slump that he had, he had been having for a while. Um, yeah, just a you know a, a good win to start the week off, and obviously building on the sweep over the weekend, taking the fourth in a row. You know, the rest of the week was um, the rest of that series, I should say, was also you know quite kind. Monday was the probably the most memorable game because of what happened with the with the the fireworks on the on the field. But Tuesday was an eight inning game. 
which you don't often see because the mm-hmm. the always the always fun ninth inning rain delay. I was laughing. I was not watching because I was. Oh, uh, the beat engaging. writers were so upset. Yeah, I was gonna say the the beat writers were not happy. And trust me, I mean I had not been there in a baseball sense, but any any delay when you're uh, trying to work, any delay like in the fourth quarter of a basketball game or a football game, like an official review, I, I understand. It's not a fun thing to sit through, which is of course a first world problem if you are a professional sports writer. But um. I, I sort of identify with them on that one, but uh, they ended up calling it, which was even funnier. Like they had to hang yeah, around yeah, for a long time was, and then not have to do anything. <laughs> there was no forecast that they could have looked at and said, maybe we could fit this last inning in. I mean, like every forecast says it's going to be a torrential downpour for the next five hours. And they took for a long time to decide to call that game. And I was just like, okay, just have, have everyone hang around for no reason. That's fine. But yeah, um, I mean, the Braves hit five homers in the game and, and one again, of course, uh, faulty struggled, but aside from that, there wasn't too much to be, upset about Brian McCann had a huge week and that was um, part of it with two home runs in one game and of course his his biggest contribution and the most famous one was over the weekend but Tuesday was a quiet Brian McCann game with two home runs if you could say that out loud yeah. uh, I don't know if I call it quiet but you know it's very compared to what week. happened later in the week I should say um yeah, just because of the attention true. it got but yeah uh good a, a fun game Wednesday was uh the most high drama probably of the Pittsburgh series and um, I was covering was the, that one yeah, you were there. That's right. I, th- I forgot you guys were there. That's good. Yeah. Uh, Austin Riley ties it in the ninth with a solo home run because he's been ridiculous still. And then Ozzy walks it off in the eleventh. Uh, you know, other than every starter having a hit, um, which was obviously pretty good with the offense. We'll talk about the offense in a second with Pittsburgh and that Pittsburgh series because it, it was ridiculous. Um, did you jinx Mike Soroka being there? Now, I mean, now that you I said mean, that you were there, and I mean, he wasn't good. That was the first time he's ever been bad, basically. Uh, I mean, I'm, I guess I might have might have jinxed him a little bit, but. I've also been in some Soroka starts where I've been he's also been pretty good. I, the that Pittsburgh lineup is everyone was talking about they only had like two guys that were any good. That is just not true. <laughs> that lineup's <laughs> actually pretty scary. Um and they they had a pretty good approach. They just didn't decided they didn't try to hit for much power against him. You know, and they hit a lot of ground balls that found holes and stuff. You know, I mean, there's some guys that can hit the ball pretty hard too, which helps, you know, hard grounders play up a little bit more than the soft ones and you know some ground balls fall fell and found holes some flares kind of you know were landed just fair and things like that but it was it, it also mike wasn't particularly good either he wasn't locating and keeping the ball down the way he normally does and there wasn't the same movement on his pitches so maybe i guess i kind of jinxed him but at the same time like that, during that pittsburgh series it's not like our pitching staff was like putting up ones and zeros you know what I mean? In those games, Pittsburgh's offense came to play, and it just so happened that they ran into the buzzsaw that is the Braves' offense right now and just got swept in four games, which shouldn't have happened and, frankly, is surprising that it happened considering how many runs they gave up. But, again, that just kind of tells you how the offense is playing. Yeah, I mean, we could fast forward. Yeah, Thursday's game was kind of, um, you know, it was it was a good win for the Braves, obviously. It wasn't like a hugely memorable one, but a win to complete the sweep. But you know, going to the offense on on the whole there, as because you mentioned the pitching staff wasn't great in that series, and they weren't. And normally you would not expect to get a four game sweep victory over a team that's not terrible um, without pitching decently well. They really didn't pitch that well because the offense was ridiculous as a team in the Pittsburgh series. I tweeted this out, but I'll say it again now: a 172 WRC plus as a team for a four game series. This is the slash line for the team: 327, 418, 639 with 11 home runs in four games as a team. Yeah, you gotta um, love the gotta love the over one thousand OPS as a team. Yeah, I mean like ten fifty. Yeah, Oz, Ozzy slugged um, eleven eighty eight 
in the series. Slugged, not OPS. Slugged, 1188 in the series. Marquecas had a great series. He had a 526 on base percentage. Dansby had a 600 on, on base percentage. The list goes on and on. Um, and it's worth noting, obviously, the offense was really good again against, against Philly. And I don't have the numbers in front of me because the seri- you know, Fangrass hasn't updated yet um, from Sunday's game. So I don't, I don't want to ca- calculate stuff on all by hand. It would have taken me forever. But... Um, the offense was just ridiculous all week, and it was easy to ca- it was easy to capture the Pittsburgh stuff. But you know, even beyond that, of course, as we'll get to in a second, they scored twenty nine runs in three games against Philly. <laughs> yeah, that's in addition good. to it, I mean, the, so the whole week of offense was just outrageous. Um, and you know, I know they got they maybe got a little bit fortunate to win nine of ten, just because you know of how many one run games there were, and there were some comeback victories, including the one that we're about to talk about. But you know, the offense was uh, elite. For the last for the last ten yep. games, that's the only way to put that. There's no other way. There's no other way around it. The pitching staff uh, should be buying the offense uh, meals, I suppose, over the last uh, week or so. Yeah, it's it was just kind of it was just kind of wild because you I mean it, especially the the come the, the one the next one we game we we're talking about it just like you ne- with this team you just never feel like that there's zero chance that they're gonna win a game. And know, that's Friday. I mean, let's, let's let's talk about Friday now because Friday was the eight straight the eight straight win and they they had no business winning that game. I mean, it was it's it's a fun one as you're talking about and it's always the uh, the last at bat stuff the, the the heroics the fireworks that happen the- with this team but they're just never out of it and that game. Candidly, I was not watching because I was I had, a, I had a family thing. I kind of wrote it off in my brain. Like I was looking at the box score. I'm like, all right, it's seven to two in the seventh. It's probably over. And then uh, it wasn't, uh, not by a long shot. No, I mean they they kind of stopped the bleeding towards the end of the game. And it, I'm not like a big fan of the whole clutch stuff because I think that good hitters just do good things generally. But it seems like every time that Austin Riley needs to come up with a big hit, he just does it. <laughs> and you know, had the RBI double that. Honestly, if he had squared up just a little bit better, would have ended the game right there in the ninth. Um, you know, Culberson coming in with a, with a triple as he continues his improbable run as basically Babe Ruth coming off the bench. Um, and then, you know, McCann hits the walk-off, and all of a sudden it's, an, it's a win that for a game that they had no business winning. You know, it kind of evened out the next day, but it's – this team's just really fun to watch. They have, they can just have big innings out of nowhere. They can be, they can get like you'll see one, innings one through three where a starter feels like it feels like they had a good game plan for their, their, the Braves hitters, and it's like okay, well we're not going to score that many runs this this day. And then the next time through the order, like five guys just have, make an adjustment, and all of a sudden they just put up five runs, and they're like okay, good luck catching us. And that's just yeah. they do they do it over and over again. No, I mean the offense has been great. It really, I mean, it's been ridiculous. And you know, the the Brian McCann interview with Kelsey and the you know his uh, his fist pump and he was getting. I mean, Gwinnett County's own Brian McCann. I have a long history with Brian McCann. I love I love Brian McCann. Um, having grown up, um, and uh, I didn't play against him, but I, I I watched him play in high school. He you know he grew up you know five miles from me. Um, and you know him and Jeff Francoeur, who I know personally, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Brian McCann is a, a personal favorite, obviously. Um, and to have him have him do that, uh, and just the reaction to that, you know, that that the, the, the Twitter video from Fox Sports like moved in a way that Braves like regular season videos don't move. Like that that that, that thing made the rounds because everyone loves Brian McCann. So right. um, just having him do that in that spot against the Phillies on a Friday night when everybody's watching the five run comeback. Um, to get his thousands RBI too. Yeah, I mean every 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 box you every box every, every box you want to check was checked by that game. It was that was awesome. Um, I wish I could have watched the entire thing during, uh, sort of unfold in front of my eyes, but um, yeah, it's just it was awesome. And by the way, I have this note um, that I forgot to share earlier about the pitching staff. The team, you know, they won they won they won eight in a row. 
the last six games of the of the winning streak, the the team ERA was four point nine seven. How many how many six game winning streaks do you have with a team ERA of four point nine seven? I would imagine not very many. Although I'm sure that someone who feels well, I'm like sure it happens. Well, well, but especially in the American League. Yeah, yeah. Especially, I mean, in the, in the American League, I'm sure it happens more. But like, just the percentage, like the way that the odds would shake out there, if you just you know did a bunch of uh, random simulations, how often would a team win six games in a row against not terrible competition by any means with Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, um, and and I guess Miami's pretty bad, but uh, yeah, Miami's. But really uh, bad. you know, it's but that was only one game in the Miami series, I suppose. Uh, you know, it's just it's just crazy, man. The last six games of that of that winning streak to just kind of just keep mashing offensively, and then it kind of all peaked. On Friday, so that was a fun one. Um, we won't spend too much time on Saturday because you know they they blew the save. Luke Jackson, um, you know, it was not a uh, not one where he was like just battered and bruised as a pitcher necessarily. It wasn't like he was giving up home run after home run to blow the save. And I'll let you talk about that in a second. We'll get to that in a second. But um, the Sean Newcomb injury was probably the biggest thing that happened on Saturday, other than just the loss, um, just because he got hit in the head with a liner and that was a scary moment. Um, a concussion protocol stint for Newcomb. Apparently, he's going to be okay. By all indications, unless I missed something today on my long drive back, I think he's going to be avoiding the DL. Is that what? I'm sorry, the IL. Is that what we uh, are led to believe now? Yeah, it seems like it doesn't even seem like he's going to miss a start. You know, the word this morning out of uh, Dave O'Brien was that you know he's got a bump on his head, but no issues going to slept through the night without any issues. No, you know, no issues with the concussion protocol, and you know, he's got a bump in his neck, a little bit sore, because again, you got hit by a 102 mile an hour line drive off your head. That's going to do it. And but he looks like he's going to be okay, which that that was the scariest thing. And honestly, losing a game like that doesn't that doesn't really concern me all that much because you lose your starter in the third inning, you know, and a, a confluence of events have to happen for you to lose that game. And you were still in a position in the ninth inning to win it. I mean, it wouldn't have surprised me if like that game got away from them just because of you know it it kind of threw everything in flux. Yeah, but, it did. I mean, to, to their credit, um, they they were actually you know in, in a position to win, and uh, uh, we we could be talking about a ten a ten game winning streak pretty easily right now. They they uh, they very easily could have won that could have won that baseball game because ultimately it was a sack a guy on first. They were trying to lay down a sack bunt. Luke Jackson went to field it and instead of one out and a runner on second. They had no outs on runners on second and third. That's how they and lost. Then, and then the the sort of uh, I guess the eventual game winning single was not like it was drilled. I mean, it was hit through the uh, through the left side of the infield like it was kind of just placed very well. This is it's I think it's like the third time Jackson has been victimized by like some weird ground ball luck. And of yeah, course, some, he was self imposed this time. But, kind. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he's been even when he's blown saves, quote unquote. He's not been really bludgeoned in a way that you would envision a blown save. So um, yeah, you know, I still refuse. I still refuse to believe that like Luke Jackson's this all-star closer or anything like I'm, that. But he's, you, he's, but he's not. But he's not like he's not the problem either. You know what I mean? No, so. it was not a disastrous outing from a closer that you were envisioning. If you just saw the box score and saw a blown save Luke Jackson and they blew they blew it to leave the ninth inning, you would be more frustrated than if you actually watched what happened. Yeah, it was just it was an errant throw on a guy who doesn't field a lot of ground balls. That's going to happen sometimes. And considering the the events of the game of what happened, this game could have gotten a lot worse. And you know. Some of that luck's going to even out. You know, the Braves had gotten really lucky to win some of the games that they have, and some of that you make your own luck. But you know, there's also going to be things that happen that you know are just that's just how baseball works. So you're not going to you're not going to win 162 games. You're just going to have games like that where just a little mistake all of a sudden costs you, and that's not that's not something I get too you know too riled up about. Yeah, I wouldn't worry, especially when uh, Sunday Sunday happened. Sunday happened, and this Woo! one I missed entirely. But uh, no, I, it, was so, it was a fun one. I, I was in the car, so uh, I did. I, I was at least able to, I guess, watch the festivities on my phone unfolding. But a season high in runs, season high in hits, 
Josh Donaldson things happen. People uh, that were all always critical of him. Well, can't say much today. Um, but a, just a bludgeoning, fifteen to one against your. Uh, I guess for this year's purposes, your arch rival. Um, you know, to be to get to, to get to twelve games over five hundred for the first time all season. Like you can't, you can't be too upset with the way that uh, things no. went today. It was it was I mean, a Tom- it was a very fun game at the ballpark. Donaldson had a really good series against Philadelphia just in general. It wasn't just that game. He was just really good the whole series. But, like, it's insane that Ronald Acuna went four for five with a home run and three singles and, like, scored a bunch of runs. And no one cared. And, it, and, it, and it's a, <laughs> it's debatable as to whether or not he had the best offensive game. Yeah, it was, like, very quiet. I mean, I looked at the box score in prep in prep for this. I was like, all right, who do we want to talk about? I guess Donaldson's the, the obvious one, but, like, there was a lot of things happening offensively in this game and really the entire week. I tweeted I tweeted this. I tweeted this out. Uh, it was either yesterday or the day before. I can't remember. I said it's weird that Acuna has hit safely in like fourteen to fifteen games, <laughs> and is people are still wondering what you know if when he's actually going to hit his stride. And he's had some really good at bats lately, and he's hitting the ball like even with more authority than usual. And his bats have appeared have appeared a little bit better. It's kind of scary to think that there's actually a world where this team could actually be performing well better, performing better if like Acuna is like the Acuna that we've seen him on streaks before where he literally just carries your team. Well, yeah, I mean, and, it's funny, like how many guys, you could make the argument that, you know, most guys are hitting at their norms or better. And even to, but to your point about Acuna, you know, right now today, we could say he's not had a like incredible Acuna season so far. And he has a slash of 296, 375, 507 with a 129 WRC plus. He's 20 and he's 21 years old. So, yeah, he, uh, and, and you can easily see a world where he'd be more better than that. Well, that's what I mean. Like he's yeah. not he's not like having an like a season that we're talking about every week because he's not been like he's not been as good as he was last year so far. In the and, second, but half. to say that second. like he's 21 years old and this is like a, a quote down year or something something even close to that is pretty outrageous. Like <laughs> he's ridiculous, man. He, he, uh, does, he, does, he does. Every time he's on the base path, too, it seems like he always finds a way to come around and score because. If, if he draws a walker, if he only hits a single, everyone's like, oh, where are the power numbers? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. He's going to like, they can't, you can't, he's one of the hardest guys in the world to, you know, get force outs out at second. You know what I mean? You can, and he'll, he'll steal a base. He'll take extra bases on ground balls and fly balls. And he, he, he will come around one way or the other. So, and he hasn't been the best, like this week, he was like maybe the third or fourth best hitter on the Braves. Well, I wanted, I, mean? to, I wanted to mention Ozzy. I, I said this some of the numbers earlier from the, from the Pittsburgh series, but Ozzy was just ridiculous this week. And now, you know, after all of the consternation about Ozzy struggling with his supreme hot streak over the last week or so, he's up to a 107 WRC plus. And if you combine that with his defense, he's now like a, you know, on pace for like a three and a half win season. <laughs> yeah. He, like despite he, struggling, really you know, quote, struggling. The, the, we, we looked at, I looked at the lineup earlier. Of all the Braves regulars, the Braves have one hitter with less than an 800 OPS, and it's Nick Barcakis, and he's like right there. Yeah, and and honestly, like with, with Ender not in the lineup anymore because of Riley, like there's there's not really a weakness. I mean, the the catcher spot's not this like overall, but when, when compared to other catchers, like. It's totally fine. Sign me up for Flowers and McCann. Like that, that that's a top ten duo in the league. Um I, they're not I would gonna not, scare I, I, you, but you know. I would not be surprised if they extend McCann for especially if he continues this throughout the year. I would not be surprised if they McCann, extend McCann for another year because they have Langoliers and Contreras coming. 
But those two guys, they don't look they don't look washed up. They don't look like they're like desperately no. trying to hang on to a, a spot, a roster spot. They've been playing really well. And if Nick Markekis is your worst hitter, you are doing just fine. Because well, that's what I mean. I mean, there's just no weaknesses right now. I mean, Markekis had the really rough stretch before the beginning of this week. He had a good series against Pittsburgh, then cooled off a little bit after that. But yeah, if he's your worst hitter or even one of your worst two hitters, you're in great shape. Like you know. He's not a bad hitter. Like Markakis, no. for all the gruff we've given him over the years, has never been a bad hitter. Like he 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 had a he had a, he had a bad few months last year, and he was not an overwhelming um, force, obviously. But like he gets on base at, at the very least, he gets on base. And if he's your worst hitter, you're in fantastic shape. And with Riley now in there, you have guys who have. You know the obvious star power guys and Freeman Acuna, and then you have the guys who have real upside. Um, there's just nothing to have pitchers capitalize on other than the pitcher spot, which everyone has the opportunity to do in National League. So you, it's like you, you just you don't do? you just don't see National League lineups where you're looking at like you're, imagine like you're like the opposing pitcher and you look at the six, seven, eight hitters, and it's Austin Riley, Brian McCann, and Ozzy Albies. Yeah, I mean, the question coming into the year, as we as we go back, the question coming in the year was, what is Dansby Swanson going to be, and what is Ender Inciarte going to be? And now Ender's not in the lineup; it hasn't been for a month, and Dansby's been hitting very well all, for most of the season. So it's like, if you can if you can check off that box, like he was I, coming into the year, Dansby was the spot where you would say, other than Ender, that you would say like maybe this, maybe this, maybe this doesn't go great offensively. But he's been good, and that makes them so much better, too. Because if you combine that with Riley taking over for Ender and just hitting the crap out of the baseball for now a month plus, like, there's not really, again, there's no, there's no, there's no weaknesses. It's not, it's not like the 27 Yankees. It's not the best lineup in the league, but it's, it's a top five, it's a top five, top five lineup in the league. If they have, if they're hitting like this, like for the last 10 games or whatever this is now, they're just lighting the world on fire. And, you know, the pitching staff is a problem, and I don't want to focus on it too much today because we're going to have this be a positive podcast after nine wins out of 10, game, 10 games, but they needed this, honestly. They had hit well to play well the last week or so, and they did it because they have the talent to do it. Yeah, um, but kind of before we, like, move off the pitching stuff, I do want to kind of talk a little bit about Keiko because, again, I got to see him live. Yeah, let's and... do that since you were there. Sorry so I was, I was, I was, no, you're no, no, you're fine. We we things go off the rails with you and I. It's We're totally zooming fine. around, you and me, and I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I did go to the Keiko's start in Rome. He did look good in the sense that like these low A hitters has literally had no chance doing anything against him, which is kind of what you would expect from a guy who was supposed to be on a short timetable on this minor league assignment that he's on. Um, I will say that he was missing the zone low a lot, but I think that had more to do with the fact that he could just pitch the ball wherever he wanted to. And if he threw the ball where he was, these guys would be flailing at it. You know, the, the, the slider looked pretty good and the fastball was, you know, it's, it's kind of what it is. He's a, he's kind of a junk ball guy, but he's supposed to be, he has this really good command, which helps a lot. And, you know, between that and the cutter, he was throwing like high eighties, low nineties. That's just kind of what he is. Looked good. He put the numbers he put up were really good. I will say I didn't get a chance to watch his Mississippi start, and the numbers looked a little, a little concerning just because of the number of hits he gave up. The word coming from like you know the the, the Mississippi Brave side was you know there's a lot of little dinky hits and things like that. But I did hear from one scout from uh, from another team that said that he they don't think he he didn't think he looked very good and that the breaking ball wasn't very good. So I will say this about Keuchel is that while there's that name recognition, he's the Cy former Cy Young Award winner. I hope that folks are tempering their expectations and that I, you're not getting the Keiko that won the Cy Young. He, you're getting a guy who should be able to give you reliable innings and, you know, not be 
not let games go away from you like they would when Gaussman was in there or, you know, some of the other guys that have kind of been run out there at times to try to get starts, uh, nuke him earlier in the year, et cetera, et cetera. But he's a guy that – because his stuff, he doesn't have like a hammer, cur- a hammer curve or a, a wipeout slider and he doesn't have like a mid to high 90s fastball he can just blow anyone away with. His command has to be perfect and he has to get action on his pitches so that they each play off each other and – he is not the same guy he once was. So I hope that people aren't assuming that he's going to be an ace because I think he'll be okay. But I don't think he's going to be like this like savior of the pitching staff either where like, you know, all of a sudden you have this like guy that you can run out there in game one of a playoff series because I don't think he's that guy anymore. Yeah, it's good context. And I think it's it pretty much echoes what Scott and I were saying when they, when they signed him. And, you know, he looked great. And obviously, the first minor league started and he was always going to probably. Um but, you know, realistically, you're signing him for stability and having this very solid veteran in the middle of the rotation. He's not going to go out and dominate for you. Like, maybe maybe he can have a run like that. Obviously, he's a Cy Young, a Cy Young winner and all that stuff. But uh, you have to understand that he is not that. Like, I think I made the comparison to they, it's not, they did not acquire Justin Verlander. Um, that's not that's not the kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Verlander still had you know a fastball. <laughs> that's what I mean. Like you're, you're not you're not going to get like you know Keigel can look like that sometimes, but he doesn't have he just doesn't, doesn't have the stuff of that of that tr- traditional ace pitcher. And listen, he profiles as one of the best three pitchers on the roster when he's when he when he's healthy and ready to go. So it's definitely going to help because he's going to be solid. I think. Um, and the upgrade there from what you got from Gosman is very solid. And by the way, um, at some point in the future when we're not trying to be positive, we might talk about Max Freed and what's happening there because it's kind of quietly not been great. And then Fulte had some moments today, but I think he walked five. Um, didn't need to, didn't matter in a 15 to one game, but he's even in his best start in a while, he was not great either. So, um, yeah, there's some weaknesses in, this, in, the, in, the, in the, on the starting pitching staff. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's not a perfect roster. They've had some good things going for them. I just kind of hope they give, like, guys like free to break and I I still am I I'll just keep saying this until it's I have reasonably but I just don't know if Fulty is either completely confident in the health of his arm or that he is completely healthy just because it's just the, the stuff just looks very different you know what I mean like yeah, it's not like, it's not this is not 2018 Fulty right now it's just uh, no um and that's for the, first the reality inning, for of the, the situation for the first inning he was today and then after that it kind of went off the rails again. Yeah, I mean, he's flashed it a couple I, I, times I, now. I mean, he's had yeah, a couple I, of innings when you're like, oh, "Okay, he might be back." And then he's not back. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I say off the rails like, you know, he only gave up one run, but I mean like it was just the, the command is kind of The five walks like, is uh jarring. Yeah. Uh anyway, without going too deep into that rabbit hole, uh I'm glad you mentioned Keiko. That's interesting and we'll see when when do you think he's going to come back? When, when do you think when do you think he's coming? That's a question that we got a lot this week then I saw in the mentions um Every- is when is Keiko going to pitch and I don't know. So when we talked to Keuchel after the game in Rome, the plan was for him to pitch somewhere today or this weekend, which he did. <laughs> uh, right. And then the hope is that he would be able to start, I think, Friday, I think is the general plan. Um, to kind of that next, that, the next place where Newcomb's, you know, the, the Gaussman-Newcomb spot uh, is when he would pitch unless they felt like that he needed one more start in the minors. And that was something they were going to decide like at the beginning of this, you know, probably tomorrow. Yeah, that's they, basically they what I read too. Is like, all right, we'll, we'll, they'll decide Monday or Tuesday, and then if he pitches, it's going to be like Friday. Um, just for the record, on the schedule this week, as we wrap up in a second, they have the Mets at home for three. They're off on Thursday, and then the Nationals on the road over the weekend. And right now, there is a glaring empty spot in, in the probable pitcher spot on Friday against Anibal Sanchez in Washington. So that that might be a spot. <laughs> two right drunk, there. two junk ballers, junk ball extraordinaires going at each other. Yeah, that'll be fun uh, if it happens. Uh, but yeah, a couple of obviously, you know, division 
division rivals on the on the slate this week. The attention's paid to Philly right now, but you know New York and Washington have talent. They're not incapable of uh, yeah. stinging the Braves this week if something goes if something something goes wrong. Just for the standings check, the Mets and the Nationals are still like not dead. I mean, the Mets are seven and a half back. The Nats are, the Nats are eight and a half back. Um, you know, obviously they are not the concern when compared to the Phillies right now, but they're not dead teams like the Marlins are. So it's uh, worth pointing that out yeah, always the, the, when you're facing your rivals. Well, and they've and the Braves have Zach Wheeler and Jacob Degrom to deal with. So it's kind of they'll be interesting to see how this offense, the way it's playing, goes against those two guys who have been pitching well. I think that the Braves are missing the majority of like I don't think they get Strasburg and Scherzer in the next series, unless I'm misremembering. No, in fact, unless I'm yeah, unless I'm, unless this is wrong, they only have to face Corbin, and they they miss both Scherzer and Strasburg, which is a huge win if that's true, because yeah. that's what you want. You don't you don't want to face those guys. Corbin is good, by the way, so it's not like it's a break or anything. But um, missing those two big right handers is uh, helpful. Definitely. Um, all right, Eric. Well, um, aside from the looming Los Angeles Dodgers, who are ridiculous, um, the Braves look to be pretty darn good right now, and they're in great shape, much better shape than they were in a few weeks ago. Um, if this continues, I will be wrong in how I thought about them early in the season. I projected them for like a high, you know, mid to high 80s win total, and right now they're projected to basically be a 91 team or so. And so they're out, they're outperforming that, and you know, the offense is the biggest reason why. But any final thoughts before we get out of here? We've we've covered a lot of ground today, I think. I will say that if you watch games around the league and if you've watched the Braves opponents over the last couple of weeks, you will take a great amount of appreciation for, even though there's some mistakes that happen defensively, how much value that defense gives to this ball club in that, you know, coming up with big catches or just making big plays because there's some really bad defense being played around the league. Uh, and Philadelphia running out a roster that seems to have a bunch of guys out of position uh, or should be playing first base only. It's something that certainly didn't help them in this series. And I think that's kind of, and I've, I will maintain that it's going to be one of those things that's going to ultimately cost them the division. That's why I predicted the Braves to win the division. It's that I just think that overall, the, the Braves team has some warts. There's no question about that. But overall, top to bottom, they just play in at least two facets of the game. They play a complete game. They can do a lot of things well in those areas. And I, 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 I genuinely, I thought at the beginning of the season, and I still think it now that they're, they're real favorites to win the division. And I have no reason to believe otherwise. There you go. Um, I, I'm not as clear in my pick of the Braves to win the division as you are, but right now today I would pick the Braves to win the division. That's probably the first time that I've said that like fully, like full on definitively. I think the Braves are going to win the division. It would not blow me away if they didn't, just because you know the Phillies are still right there and they do have weaknesses as well. But um, I think the Braves at this moment are the team to beat in the National that, that, League East. That, which... that, that, that. That's, that's a lot of optimism. I remember the last month of the season last year when we were talking on the podcast and you were like, you know, these last couple of series against Philadelphia are going to really tell us, you know, whether or not who's going who's gonna to decide this division. I mean, I was I was open and honest. I said, I think the thing, this thing's done and they're going to clinch in. They're going to clinch that that second to last series against Philadelphia. Uh, it's kind of what happened just because, like, I just don't think that Philadelphia team they have. They had so many moving parts. They're trying to figure out things out in terms of lineup and in terms of their, their pitching staff and their bullpen. I just, I just don't see. I, I think they're going to have some stretches where, like, four or five games, where, like, you know, they're like a offense with Harper and Real Muto and Segura is just going to have a good stretch here and there. I just don't think that they can keep it up. I just don't. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I think it's more like a 60-40 for me with the Braves at 60 and like some combination of Phillies. I, I think the Nationals are not dead. Um, I would not put them as very high percentage chance to win the division, but they're not dead. The Mets, I 
I'm worried about a little bit less. But, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll say this. The, the Braves are the favorites, and they should be treated as such right now. And uh, that is a credit to the way that they've played. And, of course, some of that's to uh, the struggles of the Mets and the, and the, and the Nationals. But still, um, the Braves have been playing really well, and they should be acknowledged as such. All right, man. Well, uh, we'll talk more in a week or so on this podcast, barring emergency. I'm trying to think. Uh, somebody asked me this question this week, to, we can end on, and we can end on this. Like, what would be the move that would inspire an emergency podcast right now? Like, it'd have to be a trade of some sort. Like, it, it was it like, uh, Keiko, because like, once Keiko and Kimbrell sign, it's like, all right, what's the emergency podcast going to be? And it's like, all right, well, there probably won't be one unless there's some major trade. Uh, it would have to be a trade. Uh, I imagine like a team like the Giants or the Mariners would have to be involved because they have some of those high-profile names. I don't think the Braves are going to get Mad uh, Madison Bumgarner. Uh, it sounded like Agreed. earlier. It sounded earlier today like the Twins are, have have made some real headway in towards get, making that happen. And uh, honestly, I, Bumgarner. I understand the name recognition, but it's kind of the same thing with Keiko. You're not getting the guy that was pitching on like three days rest. You know, winning the World Series almost single-handedly. It's you know you're getting kind of the the, the not great version of him. Versus you, and then you, but I could see maybe some like one of the Giants relievers, but even then, that's is that emergency podcast of it real? Like you know that they get no. a, like an eighth inning guy, you know what I mean? Like I would say like it, like Will Smith is not is not is not emergency podcast worthy. I don't think maybe if it happened on like Monday, we wouldn't wait till Sunday to record. But like I'm not breaking it into uh, my schedule to record about Will Smith. Um, we're just not going to do yeah, that. So. Uh, unless it was something crazy where, like, they gave up, like, two of their top five prospects to get one. Sure, if it was, like, like some that. awful trade, then, then sure, then sign me up for that. Because uh, I'd, I'd probably hear from you first if it was a prospect-driven prospect, uh, prospect driven trade because <laughs> you'd be upset. And you'd be hey, ready yeah. to fire off some takes. But, uh, yeah, I mean, in short, I-, I would be surprised if there are too many emergency podcasts between now and the trade deadline. But um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Asked, so I wanted to answer that question. <laughs> yep. So short answer, probably nothing. I think they might. The, I have a hunch they'll make a, a trade or two for you know some relief arms or something like that. But in terms of like emergency podcast stuff, it would require something that would be something that I'm not seeing coming. So. Yep. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, that's uh, probably good for today, Eric. And we will be back. We're back on a regular schedule, hopefully. Um, I think we've I, I, actually I think we've we've been on the on the schedule for this podcast. I've been all over the place, but Sundays have been weirdly clear at least clear enough to record content so hopefully that uh makes everybody happy and we'll be back again one week from now please plug yourself though eric as always in the road to atlanta show and everything else that you, that you have going on sure uh, on the same uh channel that you're subscribed to talking chop there you might be noticing this podcast that keeps popping up called the road to atlanta that's our minor league podcast where we kind of do each week every thursday where we talk about the minor leagues uh it was very draft heavy before the draft obviously we did our kind of our Braves minor league all-star teams uh, this past week, and we're trying to, trying to figure out exactly what content we're going to be doing going forward because right now it would be really easy to talk for an hour about Christian Pache and Drew Waters who have been kind of going crazy, and I expect you'll hear a lot about them uh, <laughs> uh, this coming week or two. But that's something that comes out every Thursday. You can follow me on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K. In terms of stuff that's coming out, we're gonna be, we have some – some scouting information that's coming in about and some interviews from draftees as well as during the all-star break what you're gonna be wanting to look for since there's not gonna be a lot of you know mlb games other than those all-star festivities you are going to see uh the braves uh the mid-season top 30 braves prospect lists come out then and we're kind of in the initial stages of kind of getting that list set up and then we'll have those write-ups coming out one uh i think it's gonna be six guys a day and for five days and you'll find out kind of where the guys stand in our minds anyway 
And uh, yeah, please stay tuned for that. I am a listener to uh, your podcast as well as a, uh, a avid reader of the content on the site. Uh, it's like I'm just a regular fan when it comes to that stuff because I'm not a prospect guy, but I'll leave that stuff to Eric and we'll cover on this podcast when warranted as we did earlier today on the show. Uh, Eric, thank you again, my friend, for doing this and we'll do it again very soon. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. As for everybody else, please subscribe. Please subscribe. Please subscribe to this podcast. Rate, review, all that fun stuff. And we'll see everybody in exactly one week.